Hey everyone, welcome to the Naz Church Weekly Message Podcast. Here, you will listen to the preaching pastors from the Naz in Grove City, Ohio. We pray that you are inspired by their teachings. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for the invitation to come and preach. I guess you probably didn't send the invitation, but your pastor did, and especially to get to preach at Advent, speaking of things that make you feel like a pastor again. It's being with a church family during these seasons of the year. So thank you, Pastor, and thank you to all of you for the warm reception we've received today. We love your church, and we love to be a part of this place anytime we get the chance. Did you see this beautiful set over here? It reminds me a little bit of our place. We've got a little fireplace kind of like this, maybe a little bit bigger, nice and warm and peaceful. I had one of these cookies. These are legit cookies right here. They're real. Um, I had one in between services and they're outstanding. This is a peaceful, peaceful setting. And that's by design. The theme that we're gonna talk about today is the light of peace. And I know that oftentimes we imagine a scene like this where maybe all the shopping is done and all of the gift wrapping is done and everything is peaceful and then you just get a chance to sit down by a warm fire and it's peaceful. That's a nice scene. Can I tell you about a time that wasn't so peaceful for us? Father's Day 2007. Church was over, we were home. I decided, wouldn't it be nice to throw a little meat on the grill? In true manly fashion, I thought, I wanted some meat and I want it on the grill and I wanna cook it. And so I went out there and hit the starter on the grill and nothing happened and I hit it again and then I hit it, I hit it, I hit it, nothing. And I realized I'm out of gas, I'm out of fuel. Well, it was about 15 minutes to go anywhere to get any, and I thought, I don't really want to do that. It's Father's Day. It's supposed to be my day. I thought, you know, out there in the garden shed, I've got some old charcoal briquettes, and this is an old grill anyway. I'll just dump the briquettes in there. We'll light them up, and we'll do an old-fashioned grill, and it'll be even more manly. So that's what I did. I went out, got the briquettes, poured them in there, lit a few matches, dropped them in there, and really nothing was happening, and I was frustrated by this. And I said, you know what I need? I need lighter fluid. And so I went back to the garden shed and I went through all of the stuff that's been there for many years and I realized I don't have any. And then I thought, I know what I will do. I will use gasoline. Yeah, so I found also a little antique made out of tin uh, pitcher. And I was that adorable. That's gonna be perfect. And so I took some gasoline and poured it in there, being extra careful, of course. I took it back to the fire or to the place that I had made. I poured it all over the charcoal. I thought that's perfect. And then I took steps back because, duh, I'm not dumb. And I lit a match. (laughs) That'll be for you to decide later. I lit a match, tossed it in there and woof. And then all of a sudden I've got a little fire going and I'm thinking this is gonna work great. So I went and busied myself with something else until I realized, you know, I better check on that. I went back over and this side was warm, but this side not so much. And nobody likes, you know, your food to be cooked on one side and not so much the other. And so I thought, well, I'm gonna need to heat up this side. So what I'll do is I'll just get my little tin pitcher soldered together has just a little bit of gasoline left and I'll just, I'll just dribble a little bit of that on there and then I'll step back again and toss another match. It'll be fine. Well, what happened was when I, when I got my little tin pitcher that's soldered together, that's an important part, and I brought it across the part and then began to tilt it, the warmth melted the solder and I'm holding the handle as the thing of gasoline bounces off of all of those charcoal briquettes, splashes fire all over me, including on my foot and on the deck of our house. If this is peace, that was not peace. 
My son was watching television in the family room. He could see through the door. This is a crisis. So he yelled to his mother, Mom, dish towel. I promise you it was like a machine. She dunked it down in the water, threw it to Ross. He threw it to me. And there I was outside pounding on things, all the while sticking my foot in our koi pond, I kid you not, to put the fire out on my big toe. If that's peace, that was chaos. We went from zero to wild in almost no time. It turns out that in the world in which you live and I live, peace is a tricky concept because you can have it one minute and the next minute it can be shattered either by something silly you did or by something silly somebody else did or by something that happens in the world. I'm thinking about Nashville, Tennessee today. I'm sure pastor is too and the tornado that they had there and all the troubles that are going on there. It turns out peace is a difficult subject for us. In February of last year, Russia decided to attack Ukraine and that war is raging this morning. I have friends who were in Ukraine when it happened. It had a very personal connection to us. Last October in this year, Hamas attacked Israel and that conflict is ongoing as we watch it night after night on the news. Did you know that so far in this year, in our city of Columbus, 132 homicides so far this year? And it turns out that peace isn't just missing in the world around us. It seems like it's also missing in some of our homes this year, last year in our city 66,655 people called the police to report domestic violence, violence within their own home. In the spirit of Christmas, in an age of peace, we have turmoil. And maybe you haven't had to call about domestic violence and maybe there's not been any gunplay in your neighborhood, but isn't it true that every one of us feels like a rubber band stretched as tight as it can get most of the days of our lives, just, just so tense. And we get to the season like this, like Christmas, when now we're gonna add on all kinds of office parties and all kinds of extra gifts, giving and receiving and spending and travel. And it's no wonder some people are just like, I can't do it. The irony of that is that in Luke chapter two in the Bible, there were some angels who appeared to some shepherds keeping watch over their flocks by night. You with me on that story? You know what I'm talking about? And the angel give them a, gives them a great announcement. And a part of that announcement is that this baby, this Messiah, this Jesus will bring peace on earth and goodwill to all men or all people. Peace on earth was prophesied or announced by those angels to those shepherds that Jesus, the baby, would bring peace. And you and I are now in a dilemma because the angel promised it, God said it, but we experience something other than that an awful lot. Where's the peace that was promised? A Christmas song we don't sing very often is called, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Here's the first verse. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play and mild and sweet, their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Beautiful song. The song goes on though to talk about exactly what I'm talking about today, the absence or the lack of peace. One of the verses says this, and in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. 1863, 
That's a long time ago. But if you know your history, you know why that song said, there is no peace on earth. And here we are, 2023, and we look around and say, our world is still pretty broken. In fact, of all the Advent lessons, I think the light of peace might be the most difficult. I mean, peace is a good thing and, and we all want it. We all want to experience it in our lives, but we don't experience it as often as we'd like. And I think you can kind of just like write me off as a preacher, somebody who's up there talking, blah, 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 who cares? But if you analyze your life, do you really experience peace a ton? Or are you more often a little uptight? You know, loneliness and depression and these kinds of things are more rampant than ever in this world in which we live with so many comforts. Interesting. What if I could convince you today that there really is peace? And, and what if I could convince you that God, who seems to have not fulfilled the promise that he made through the angels to the shepherds, remember peace on earth, goodwill to men. What if I could convince you that, yeah, actually God did keep that promise. And what if I could convince you that you could begin, you could walk out of the doors of the Naz today different than the way you came in the doors and that you could have peace that you didn't have when you got here. Now, if you'll stay with me, I think we might give you that chance. The reason I'm asking you to stay with me is because my message today is gonna to feel a little bit like trusting your GPS when you think it's wrong. Now, sometimes it is wrong, I know that, but forget those times. Just imagine those times when you were following your GPS and you're like, there's no way this is right. And then pretty soon, oh yeah, there it is. This, this happens to me all the time. My wife is convinced that I could never be elected district superintendent until GPS technology was at its height because I'm terrible with directions. And there are so many times I drive around and I think to myself, there's no way this is right. And then all of a sudden, oh, you're gonna need that concept as you go through this sermon because this message is going to be about an obscure passage of scripture in the Old Testament, about King David and about Nathan the prophet and an argument that they have, or at least a discussion that they have. And you're gonna to wonder to yourself, why in the world are we doing that when we're supposed to be talking about peace and Advent and Christmas? Well, like you do your GPS, hang in there. And I hope to deliver you there. In time. Today, we're going to talk about King David. Now, in case you don't remember exactly who King David is, let me just give you a quick thumbnail sketch. David begins in the Bible story as the youngest son of a guy named Jesse, and he's the son that nobody really cares about. Everybody overlooks him. In fact, when God's going to choose a new king and a different prophet comes to choose the king, Jesse only brings out all of his sons except David. And he says, is it this one, this one, this one? And God keeps saying, no, 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 no. And finally, the prophet says, you got one more son, right? Point. Duh, yeah, I mean, it's David, but nobody cares about it. Bring him in. And God chooses David. Now that David goes on to be the kid with the sling and the stones, remember, and the giant named Goliath. Even if you don't know the Bible, you know about David and Goliath stories, right? A giant and then a little kid or a little person who defeats this thing and has no business even fighting. That's this same David. And that same David goes on to become a mighty warrior and then eventually the king of God's people, Israel. And so he wars his way to that position. And then finally, having defeated everyone around him, he enters into sort of this golden era, this time of peace where he sets himself up in his palace and he's looking around for kingly things to do. 
So in the Bible, in 2 Samuel, way back in the Old Testament, there's this passage. Now just stick with me again. We're wandering around. The GPS is going to deliver us, I promise. Here's what it says in 2 Samuel 7, 1. After the king, David, was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, it's another character we just need to think about. He's a prophet of God. He speaks on God's behalf. And so the king says to the prophet, here I am living in this house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. And Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. Well, that's great news. It's like carte blanche. It's like a blank check. David, whatever you want to do, God's going to bless it. Well, wouldn't we all like to be in that position? So David is thinking as he goes to bed that night, I'm going to build this fabulous temple. And in that temple, we're going to put the ark. Now, if you're thinking about the ark that was on the water that had animals two by two and it floated up and down during the flood, wrong ark. Take that ark and wipe it out of your mind. Instead, remember Raiders of the Lost Ark. And that holy chest, that holy sort of treasure chest looking thing that had inside of it, in case you don't know, uh, the Ten Commandments, some manna. Remember when God fed his people with manna? And uh, let's see, I said the Ten Commandments. Oh, and Aaron's staff that, that budded into a tree. It was like this miraculous thing. They said, we got to save that. And they put it in the chest. Well, it turns out that that's where God's presence was. And we know that because in Raiders of the Lost Ark, when that one German guy takes off the thing and it melts his face... So powerful, I'm glad we don't have that picture. I thought it flipped up right there and I was just about to pass out. Anyway, that happens in that story because they're trying to depict, Hollywood is trying to depict in that moment, the awesome and the powerful presence of God. Well, it turns out that within that ark, it was called the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence dwelt on purpose because during the wilderness wandering of his people for 40 years where they're roaming around, trying to get to the promised land, God's presence is with them in that chest, which is housed inside of a big tent so that they could take it with them wherever they went. So David is saying, why is it that the very presence of God is in this tent when I have this super awesome crib over here? I should do something about that. And Nathan initially says, you should, whatever you wanna do, it's gonna be awesome, go for it. But Nathan goes home that night and has a change of heart. God gets to the prophet and you know the prophet's job is to speak for God. And so Nathan has to go back to the king and deliver the message that God had to say to him. So when I tell you this part, I want you to remember that I'm going to give you some ingredients for finding the light of peace. Within this conversation, way back in the Old Testament, between a prophet and a king, we will find three ingredients to your peace. If a fire takes three ingredients, air, fuel, and spark to be made. I mean, that's not exactly a real fire, but it's supposed to look like one. I can tell you the one that was burning my toe was a real fire and it had oxygen and spark and fuel. If there are three things that make up a fire, then I'm gonna give you three things that make up peace today. Will you listen until we get there? Okay, all right, we're gonna do that. Here we go. Second Samuel again, chapter seven. Now listen, I'm gonna go a little bit further. So in, in, chapter, in verse four, that night the Bible says, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, and here's what God told Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. That's the prophet's job. Here's the message. Are you the one, are you the one to build for me a house to dwell in? 
I haven't dwelled in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving around from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Remember, I already told you that part. And wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why don't you build me a house of cedar? God's being sarcastic. Did I tell anybody? Did I mention that I wanted a temple? Verse eight, he goes on. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from, from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I've, I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all your enemies from before you. And now I will make your name great like the greatest men on the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. And I will also give you rest from all your enemies. And then skipping down to verse 16, God says through the prophet, your house, David, and your kingdom, David, will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Oh man, that's pretty sweet. So we got to begin with sort of parsing out what God is saying to his powerful king, David. So let's begin with the first thing. Here it is. God plays the lead in his own story. God has the lead role. Nathan the prophet has gone home, heard a new word from the Lord, and now he comes back to tell David something important. And he says, David, you need to understand that God, not you, is the one calling the shots. If I were paraphrasing, paraphrasing what God said through Nathan, if I were speaking in God's voice, I think I would say, hey, David, you think you're gonna build a house for me? I hear a little Joe Pesci in that. Some of you will get that joke. Are you gonna build a house for me? Are you gonna build it for me? Thank you for those of you my age or older. The rest of you, Google it. Um, first of all, if anybody's gonna build something, it's gonna be me, God says. And second of all, you can't build a structure that can contain me. <laughs> the things that go through my head, I thought of, you can't handle the truth right then when I said that. You can't build a structure that can contain me. And third, if I'd wanted a house, I could get any one of these losers I've had leading, build me a house. So don't talk to me about building a house. That's a paraphrase. Now, the Bible says it much nicer. God was probably much nicer. But in my head, that's the way I hear it. The issue is that palaces and temples are the kinds of things that ancient Near Eastern kings do when they don't have anybody to fight. We don't have anybody to fight, so we might as well build something. I need to build my legacy. It's in the back of the mind of King David. But God reminded David that even as king and even king of God's special people, Israel, the king is still subordinate to God. Now, you, you remember David's life story. If you don't, let me run it down again. Remember, he's the underdog who God chooses. Then he's the giant killer. How awesome is that? Then he becomes the hero and the mighty warrior, so much so that people sing about him and make fun of the old kings because David's so much cooler. And now he's the king of God's people and God himself calls David a man after my own heart. Now, here's the thing. If that guy is subordinate to God, so are you. And so am I. 
And the minute that I think I'm in charge, the minute that I think it's my kingdom, the minute I think that I should be the one calling the shots, I'm in trouble because no one ranks higher than our God. God plays the lead in this story and you and me, we are supporting actors. Ingredient one in experiencing the light of peace. If you wanna know peace, and I think you do, you will let God play the lead role. You will say things like, God, it's what you want, not what I want. You will imitate Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane when he prayed, Father, your will be done, not mine. As much as I want this, as much as I want deliverance from this, as much as I feel like this would be good for me and my family, as much as I think I need whatever it is, your will be done because you're the lead and I'm the supporting actor. That's ingredient one. Let's work on ingredient two. God is with us. Ta-da! You're like, mm, I've been knowing that since I was a little kid. I know you know that, but hold on. Can I tell you about a God, the God of the scripture that is portable? You're like, portable? Yeah, portable. Our God, the God that is described from Genesis to Revelation, is a God who desperately desires to be with his people, to be with his crowning creation, you and me. God longs to be with his people. Here's how I know. In the Garden of Eden, we read the story of, of God who creates, and he creates Adam and Eve, and they're doing okay. And so in the cool of the evening, what does God do? The scripture says, God comes to them. And they walk together in the cool of the evening because God could be anywhere God wants to be, wants to be with his creation. In the wilderness, this thing we've just been talking about, when God's people are delivered from being slaves in Egypt and now they're wandering around for 40 years trying to get to the promised land, what do they have? They have that holy chest thing that I told you about in that tent that I told you about. And everywhere that they go, that thing goes with them because the, the power of God is there. God wants to be with his people. And in fact, those people don't go anywhere except that they follow that tent with that presence of God. Why? Because God is not content to be off somewhere he wants to be with his people. This season of Christmas, when we celebrate the baby Jesus born in, the, in Bethlehem, placed in the manger, what is that all about? That is the ultimate example of God who longs to be with his people so that God left the glories of heaven, taking the very likeness of a human, says Paul in Philippians chapter two, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the manger and to the cross. Why? because the God of the scriptures longs to be with his people. And one of you is saying, oh, hold on there, preacher. Uh, Jesus ascended back to the Father. Yeah, he sure did. And in the moment of his ascension, just after that, it was the Holy Spirit of God given on the day of Pentecost to every believer so that God is no longer just with, but is now within. Why does God do that? Because God, our God, longs to be with his people. And this time of year, when we gather on Sundays and we sing Emmanuel, Emmanuel, his name is called Emmanuel. You know what we're singing? The next part of the song says it. God with us, revealed in us, 
His name is Emmanuel. That's a portable God who longs to be with his people. So when I say to you, God is with us, don't yawn back at me. Say amen. amen. Send it down, all that stuff. You're not going to do it. It's fine, whatever. <laughs> Yet in this passage, David and eventually his son Solomon persist in desiring to build a temple for God. They want a place to put God. They want a place to have God. But God doesn't want a temple. God doesn't want to be housed. God already said, if I wanted anything, I'd build it myself. And plus, you can't hold me anyway. Our God is Emmanuel. Praise his name. Now, eventually, this is the part in the message where I'm wandering around. You stay with me because we're going to get somewhere. In this particular part of the story, then, we discover a little bit later that God permits the temple to be built. God does this a couple of times in the Old Testament. The people keep wearing him out and finally he's like, fine, but I'm going to tell you when you get it, you're not going to want it. It's not the only time it happens, but this is one time. God permits them to build a temple and God gives them this warning. In fact, you could read the warning in First Kings chapter 9 where God says, I'll let you build a temple, but here's the thing. The minute you turn your back on me, the minute you start playing the lead role, just know this, that temple is going to become a pile of ashes and you will become a byword in the mouths of all the nations. He basically says, if you turn your backs on me, that temple's not going to save you. You'll be rejected by the world. What a warning. So they build the temple. And would you believe exactly what God warned them of? They did. David has a son. His name is Solomon. Supposedly the wisest man in the world until he decides that he will play the lead role. And he turns his back on God and he divides the people of God into a northern and a southern people and it makes them susceptible to the enemies and the southern and the northern kingdoms fall prey. And that beautiful temple that they created to house the presence of God becomes a pile of ashes just as God predicted. And then if that's not bad enough, all of those people who lived in Jerusalem at that time were carried off into captivity, prisoners of war or what we in the church call exiles. And so you might be thinking what I was thinking as I thought about that. Well, there it is. I mean, they were on their way to peace, but because they decided that they would play their lead role, peace is gone. The people have failed. God has rejected them. It's over. Not so fast. It turns out that this Emmanuel is consistent. That this Emmanuel, this God with us, isn't just God with us on Sunday, although he is with us, amen? He isn't just God with us during Advent and at Christmas, although he is with us. And he isn't just with us when all things are great and we can say, hallelujah, put the windows down and turn the music up and be like, God's with us, hashtag blessed. <laughs> but on the worst day of your life, when the most unthinkable thing happens. I got one word for you. Emmanuel. Your worst day. Your God is there. Oh, please don't forget it. I'll be somewhere else next week preaching somewhere else. I may never be invited back here. Please don't forget that on your best day and on your worst day, Emmanuel. God is with you. Don't yawn at me when I give you point two of this message, God with us. 
get excited about a portable God who finds you even in prison, in exile. You know what happened to the exiles? Eventually God delivers them back to the promised land. It's in here. You can read it yourself. Because our God is Emmanuel. Step two in pursuing the light of peace. Remember that God is with you even when it seems like he isn't. Third thing, a different kind of house. I know you read that one and you're like, are we in the GPS thing again? Because I'm lost. Hold on, this will get better. Well, in this passage, I read to you, I was telling you about how God says, hey, David, I brought you, you know, when you were a little wimpy kid, I, I, I brought you out and you think you were a mighty warrior, but really I was fighting for you. And now here you are in the palace, David, you're a big deal, but don't forget I'm bigger. And then he says this thing, verse 16, your house, David, your kingdom will endure forever. And your throne established forever. If I'm David, I'm like, oh baby, this is the deal. I'm gonna kick my feet up and just hang out because I got the guarantee. Well, I just told you it didn't all work out that way. Solomon built a temple and the nations destroyed it, dragged the people of God off. And that palace that had a throne for David, somebody else sat there. And that temple that was so important reduced to rubble. And so again, we might look at this passage and go, now, wait a minute, how does that square? Because God said through the prophet Nathan to David, your house and your lineage, your, your kingdom is gonna endure forever. But it didn't. Well, what King David could not have known, what the prophet Nathan could not have known, you and I now know. And here it is. What everyone interpreted as temple, God intended as lineage. Stay with me. Though the earthly kingdom of Israel was destroyed and the temple was obliterated, the house or the lineage of David endured. How, you ask? Well, hold on. Nathan the prophet had promised David, verse 16, that his throne would be established forever. Wasn't it destroyed? So when you go home today, I want you to get Luke chapter two open and I want you to get Matthew chapter one open, verses 18 through 21 and Matthew and verses uh, Luke two, one through seven. And you'll, be, you'll bless me. You will say, oh, our district superintendent, he loves us so because he's helped us to read and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so. And you'll just think, what a wonderful man. Thank God for him and the lineage here in the gospels. Well, you're not probably gonna get blessed, but if you look closely, you know what you'll discover? that Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, and that Mary, the mother of Jesus, both of them, according to those genealogies, are descendants of guess who? David. Hold on, it's starting to get clear. Stay with me. And so it is that the line or the lineage of David has been passed down long forgotten generations until finally there's Mary and Joseph and Mary gives birth to a son whose name is Jesus. And he shall reign forever 
and ever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's how God keeps his promises. In this time when it seemed like none of that was possible, God pours out his blessing through that lineage all the way until these little measly Nazarenes, they lived in Nazareth, little measly Nazarenes, and they give birth to a son and his name is Jesus. And Jesus is the long forgotten descendant of David and Jesus reigns forever. Well, you might be like, well, who cares? <laughs> I mean, thanks for coming, Pastor Sam, but we were hoping for some one of our pastors. We'll get them next week. Who cares? Here's why you should care. Because it turns out that this God who makes promises keeps them. <laughs> that, that, that this God who said so long ago, your kingdom shall reign forever, meant it despite all of the things that intervened in there. All of the places that they got lost, all of the things that they did that were dumb. God keeps his promises. You and I oftentimes must frustrate God, I think. But if God can keep a promise from 2 Samuel chapter 7, all the way to this very moment and until eternity, which is forever. God can handle us and he's inviting us along. It turns out that you can, in fact, trust our God. Ingredient three, in experiencing the light of peace is that God is working in his own time and in unexpected ways. Hmm. So what, right? So thanks for the Old Testament story. <laughs> it was kind of fun, moderately fun. Now we're going to lunch, you're thinking. You should. What God promised, however, God delivered. A king forever, the lineage of David, King Jesus. So this second Sunday of Advent, if you would like to experience the light of peace, like if that looks idyllic to you, but you recognize that's gonna to be tough because our world's a mess. I feel like I'm just about to explode. If that's how you feel today, or you know you're gonna feel that as soon as your family comes over or whatever, then let me offer you these three things. Let me offer you this reality, that God makes the peace possible through the baby Jesus. And not just the baby, the baby who grows up to be preacher and teacher and healer and eventually the crucified and resurrected one. That's how your peace is guaranteed. It will not be found in your creativeness. It will not be found in your ability to, to manipulate your circumstances so that you have more money than anybody else and more opportunities and your kids go to the best schools and whatever. There is no peace there. That is, a, that is a tireless task. Peace is found in this Jesus that I proclaim to you today only. And there are some of you who are, who, who are here saying to yourself, I think, or maybe online you're watching and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know. I, I wish we had time and we don't, but 
you could set up a circumstance where you have people stand up who say, I used to think that I could provide peace for myself. I had this plan and it was all gonna work out. And man, did that ever go up in flames. And person after person after person after person after person after person would say, I thought I had a plan and I thought I was in charge and it all blew up in my face. And here's the fallout and the shrapnel and here's the brokenness in my life that remains in my legacy because I thought I was in charge. Jesus alone can bring you peace. But you're gonna have to give him first place. So, three things. Jesus is Lord. You're a member of the supporting cast. And I wanna, I wanna make that now, I wanna, I wanna turn this around to you and say, would you like to know this peace? Because that's, that's step one. You'll forget steps two and three. Until Jesus is Lord, it's just not gonna go well. And also, I don't want you to imagine that Jesus suddenly saves your sins and waves this magic wand over you and it's like, well, you're blessed forever. No, there's still a real life to live. But everything that you face, you no longer face alone. And everything that you're trying to do is no longer up to your measly power. The God of the universe, the God who keeps this promise is now your God. And the God who created life, who knows life, who through his son Jesus promised life abundant, that God is the one who wants to take up residence inside of your life. Friend, please hear me today. If you want to know the light of peace, his name is Jesus. And you can know him today. As I said before, you can walk out of here different than the way you walked in. All it takes is for you to turn your life to him and say, Jesus, I'm fairly confident that I can do some things, but I can't do it all. And I keep failing or I keep messing up or I just don't, please help me. And Jesus says, here I am. My name is Emmanuel. And he offers you forgiveness and a fresh start and a clean slate. And nobody else in the universe offers that except Jesus. Like he just wipes it all away and says, go now. The rest of it doesn't matter. That's incredible. If you want to know peace, step one, Jesus is Lord. You're a part of the cast. Two, Jesus is with you, even when it seems like he isn't. And I know you probably know that, but remember, on the best day and on the worst day, Emmanuel. And I think some of you need this assurance today because sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes as we age, we age out of some things that we used to do that gave us an identity and suddenly we're like, I don't know, nobody needs me. I don't know what to do with myself. And the loneliness creeps in and it is a bitter, bitter companion. And some of the rest of us feel like, here I am in this room full of people and I don't fit in. I'm the only one that's the weirdo in this group and everybody else seems way cooler than me and everybody else seems to have things better than me. Why am I the only one that's out of it? And the loneliness creeps in and it is a bitter, bitter companion and a thousand other scenarios that you can imagine. Listen, Emmanuel is with you. God is with you. And when you feel the most alone, you are not. He is present. And he brings with him the peace that is so temporal on this world, but so eternal in Jesus. Third, Jesus is working in his own time and in unexpected ways. And sometimes, most of the time, you don't see it and neither do I. And so we make this assumption, well, I guess I'm on my own and I'll do it myself. And again, I refer you to the Bible, almost all the stories where everybody said, I got this, you don't got this. 
So I wanna pray for us about those three things. I wanna pray for those of you who might be thinking about Jesus as Lord. You've been playing around the edges a while or just thinking about it or, or you're just, maybe this is your first time here, your first time watching and you've never thought about it. Well, could, would you think about it? I can't make you do it. No one can make you do it. But when you realize, man, you mean I don't have to, I don't have to be like the Lord? No, you don't have to be the Lord. He'll be Lord. You just say, yes, Lord. I wanna pray for some of you like that. And I wanna pray for some of you who, who feel uh, alone. Because I know that's real. And it's only turned up, the volume gets turned up at Christmas. I wanna pray for you. And thirdly, I wanna pray for those of you who have said, I don't think God's at work. Yes, he is. You sing it here, I know you do. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working, right? You know that one. It's truth. And I pray that God, the Holy Spirit will minister that to you. Let's bow our heads together. Jesus, hear our prayers. We pray from our hearts. Some of us praying is foreign to us. We don't know what kind of words we're supposed to say. We don't, should we fold our hands? Are we supposed to kneel down? What's the deal? I know, Lord, that that doesn't matter to you. You say, forget all of that. Talk to me from your heart. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you feel. And so in all sincerity, we come before you, Jesus, and we say to you, and I say on behalf of others who have not yet made this decision, Jesus, I feel like I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to be the lead role and I've goofed it up and I'm paying the price and I need help. And Jesus, we know that you are there very near to that prayer and you say, I hear you, my child. And I forgive you for those broken attempts to do it your own way. And if you'll have me, I'll come, up and I'll come in and take residence in your heart and in your life. And I'll change the way you think. And I'll change the way you feel about certain things. And I will, I will grow you. Lord, I pray for that one here today or watching online. I pray that you would help them to have the courage to say yes to that. Because when they do, the King of glory, the Lord of life, the eternal one takes up residence within us and we live differently. Do it, Lord, we pray, as people turn themselves to you. For the lonesome, I pray, Jesus. Those feelings are real and those circumstances are real and, and I wish I could fix all the circumstances, but I can't. But I can pray and I do pray that this morning, right now and in this season, that your peace will pour into the life of a lonely person and that they will begin to be ministered to by your Holy Spirit and that it will change their outlook. It will change their view of their circumstances. They will begin to realize that though they feel alone, you are there. Do it, Lord, I pray. Right here in this room, on the, uh, online, as people are home or driving or whatever they're doing, Jesus, move into where they are and say, I am here. My name's Emmanuel, best day, worst day, I'm here. And Lord, for those who are tempted right now to take it into their own hands because it doesn't seem like you're working, remind us, remind us, remind us to trust you. You've got this. Hear our prayers, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your name and for your glory, King of kings and Lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah, we pray. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast. Stay connected with us at the naz.church.